Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher, John Garepa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. We are uh, continuing our study of Joshua, and we're in Joshua chapter 2. When we left off, we were speaking about Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, and Rahab gives us an incredible image of how God can save the lost. And Rahab was an Amorite, and God had predetermined in his instructions to the Jewish people that when they went forward into Canaan, they would, that they should wipe out certain people, wipe them out, everybody, including their animals. And the Amorites were one of them, one of the people that they were instructed by God because God did not want his people to be in any way infected by what he saw as the evil coming out of these places. And so here they, here she is, a person under judgment, a person under judgment by God, and yet because her, her heart saw that God was the creator of the universe, that the Jewish God was the true God, that the Jewish God who saved the Jewish people at the Red Sea and saved them when they had encounters with other people and, and, and raised them up, she saw that, and so she asked to be saved. I want to follow your God. I want to be a part of your people. I want to do this, even though there she is, a harlot. Can you imagine? A harlot, as an Amorite, uh, a pagan. And yet you see the love of God. This is the key, that when people reach out to God and say, God, I'm lost God, I need a savior. Help me. You don't need any magic words. You don't need any magic words. That, that, that phrase, that brokenness of heart, when you say that, when you do that, uh, God hears you and responds. And I want to say something else. That if as I'm going to speak today about salvation as it relates to Rahab, and if you have not made this position known, if you have not asked God to come into your heart, and I don't care what, what denomination you are, this is not a denominational issue. Let me make that clear. I don't care what your grandfather was or your father. I don't care how many times you went to church as a kid. I don't care where you were baptized or any of the other issues. If you have not made this clear, that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you brought him into your heart, I want to I pray with you today, and I want to say this. After I'm done teaching, when I'm done teaching, I would appreciate it if, if you would not come up right away with your questions and give me a minute or two just to respond to anybody who wants that prayer. I will make that prayer with you today. Don't walk out that door. Don't walk out that door without making this known in your life. Amen? Amen. And, so, and so here we have this woman, Rahab, as a pagan, recognizing the power of God. Uh, and so we're going to talk today uh, about the scarlet thread. If you have your Bibles, if you have it, look at Joshua chapter 2 and beginning at verse 15. Actually, we'll start with verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. Those were the spies. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days. Imagine that, three days. Until they return 
and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, underlying this, unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into the house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But I tell you what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us uh, swear. Wow, what a picture. What a picture. And you understand exactly how God deals with the lost. What salvation is about. She was given specific instructions. You want to be saved? Here's what you have to do. You have to affirmatively put this scarlet cord in your window. And you have to stay in the house within the confines of the scarlet cord. And if you do this, if you, if you approach it and do exactly what we say, you will be saved and your entire family will be saved. How does it sound, guys? Thousand ways? Thousand ways to getting saved? You know, Rahab, just, just, you know, hang around. And, you know, when you see us, come up to us and speak to us. After all, there's a thousand ways to salvation. There's not a thousand ways. How many more times are you going to hear it preached? There's one way. God says it's one way. Yes, it may not even make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why should I put blood over the door? Why does that make, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it does when the death angel comes by and your house is going to be spared. And why should I put a scarlet cord? Just think about this. Just think about the fact that the scarlet cord is symbolizing Jesus Christ. And as I said it last week, when you think about the top of the window moving in this fashion, uh, in a horizontal fashion, and the scarlet cord hanging vertically, it looks like a cross with a red scarlet downpost. God is preordaining through that, that God himself, Jesus Christ, will die on a cross, and that through his blood we will be saved. And he therefore takes the first Gentile convert. Number one, there it is, Rahab, the prostitute, becomes effectively the first Gentile convert. Folks, God is not a respecter of persons. You understand that? Uh, and, and somebody asked me today again, uh, because of, of a comment that I made yesterday, when we get to heaven, is God going to really go through all the bad things that I did in my life? Is, is there going to be a film of my life? No film! No discussion about the bad things that you did. You understand? Jesus took care of that on the cross. I don't care what you've heard before. There's no evidence in Bible at all that once you come to Jesus Christ and God says, I remove this, your sins as far as the east is from the west. Well, what is the east from the west if we're going to look at a whole movie? You understand? There's no review of the bad things. But there will be review. There will be a review of what you did with the talents that God gave you. What did you do with what I gave you to do? I gave you ten talents. I gave you five talents. What did you do? Did you use it to propagate my word? Did you try to bring people to me? 
Did you do something to advance the work? Did you show people what it means to be a Christian? Was your life a poster board about what I meant to you? Or did you just stick it in the ground? Did you just stick it in the ground? And that's what God is going to talk to us about. And that's what this class is about, what we study about understanding this. And so you see it here. God could not be more clear. There's one way to salvation. You want to be saved? Bring your family into the house. And what a message that is for us. How God, when he saves you, not only wants to save you, he wants to save your entire family. He wants to use you as the priest of the home. He wants you to be the carrier of the gospel and to, and to, and to lift the gospel up so that others can see it. And you see here that he's doing the same thing with this woman. And isn't it intriguing? When you really understand this, when you look at this and you see that the first convert uh, as a Gentile to a Jew was Rahab, the prostitute. And in the church age, when you look at the first convert, really, that we see in the New Testament is the Samaritan woman at the well. Pretty similar circumstance. Married seven times. The man she was living with now, she was not married to. And Jesus gave her the gospel. She accepted the gospel, went out to her home village, and brought the entire village back, and everyone was saved as a result of that woman's testimony. You getting a message from God? All right? So if you're sitting here and you're saying, oh, I did some bad things. I did some bad things. I've led a hard life. I haven't been good. I have to clean up my life first before I come to God. Oh, don't go there. Don't go there. You can't clean it up. You can't clean it up. The more you try to clean it up, the less likely you are to clean it up. It's only when you finally relent and you said, Lord Jesus Christ, wash me with your blood, Father. Forgive me. For what I've done. When you say those words, I accept you as Lord and Savior, you are washed immediately. Immediately you are washed. So I don't care if you're a pagan. I don't care what your background was. It becomes the first day of the rest of your life, and you understand this. Uh, and so only Jesus alone. I want you to turn to John chapter 10, verse 9, because we study the Old Testament in order to understand it's a foreshadowing of the New Testament. Everything, everything that's in Scripture was done in order to point the way to Jesus Christ. That's why we study the Old Testament. It's one Bible. It's not two Bibles. It's one Bible. God spent 1,500 years letting the Jewish people know what he was going to do. And look at John chapter 10, uh, verse 9. Actually, verse 8 will start. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's Jesus articulating who he is and what he represents. He is the life. Only him. Only one way. Satan is the thief. And anything that detracts from Jesus Christ... Anything that does not point the way to the Lord Jesus effectively is outside his will, is outside his will, and is not going to advance your life. I want to tell you that right now. You need a very simple litmus test in your life. You want to know if something is within God's purview? Here's the test. Do they uplift Jesus Christ as God himself? There it is. 
You don't need to have a lengthy treatise on theology. You don't have to call me up. There it is. Do they uplift Jesus Christ as the Son of God? And if they don't, then turn it off. Then turn it off. And I'm sorry to say that in this world you're going to hear a lot of, a lot of things said, a lot, of, a lot of arguments made about the fact that this thing is good and this theology is good. And all I can tell you is you know, there's a lot of people out there promoting themselves, but the question is do they promote Jesus Christ? I don't want to hear people promote themselves. I'm interested in, in people promoting Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what I want. And so I want you to understand something, that, that these people were under judgment. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I mean, let's, let's understand exactly what God was saying to them. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. How do you like that? All seven of them more powerful, more mighty than you, puny Israel. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, and you have defeated them, and make no mistake about it, it's God who has delivered them into your hands. Don't go thinking it's because you are so smart. You're so smart. You have such a powerful personality when you see God entering your life on your behalf. Don't go down that road. God is, God is working on your behalf. And so when he delivers them over to you, and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Look at this. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, burn their idols in the, in the fire, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Whoa. Whoa. She was under that judgment, and yet God saved her. And you understand what we face today in this world. Effectively, this world that has not given its heart to Jesus Christ are dead men walking. I can't say it any other way. Look, it doesn't make me happy to say this. I'm not a guy that's, that takes joy in, in preaching a message that, that effectively is, is condemnation to the a majority of people. My heart breaks. I'm a people guy. I love people. I, want, I love being with all kinds of people. I really do. But I have an obligation as, a, as a, a minister of the faith, as minister of God, that God has given me this position. I have an obligation to tell people what Jesus has said, what God has said. And you see it here. You see the judgment for being outside the will of God and how, how God articulated here for the Jewish people. Here it is. God is their king. That's who their king is. It is a theocracy. God is leading this nation. He has brought them up and given them a unique place. 
and bless them in a place unlike any other people would be blessed. All he asks for is that they maintain their holiness, that they serve him, that they live their lives in accord with his principles, that they follow his law. And he outlined the fact that when they come in contact with people that are not that way, they must not allow themselves to be poisoned and polluted. What does that mean today? It means today for us that we have to be careful ourselves. Even as we live in a world in which we love other people and we want to extend the gospel, we have to make certain that our ideals and our values, our Christian ideals, stand strong. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Look, you all are in country clubs and, 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 and have relationships with people, and you want to be loved. I know that. We all want to be loved. You don't want them to say, oh, don't sit with that guy. He's a pain. Don't go over there. Oh, God, don't go down that path. That guy, oh, man, he's not going to make you feel good. But I'm going to tell you something truthfully. I want you to recognize something. If you truly are reflecting the love of God, people will be drawn to you like a magnet. Honestly, I want to say this to you. People will be drawn to you like a magnet. You won't even understand it. Why they seem to come to you. Why they want to talk to you. Why they want to unburden themselves. Because they see there's something different in you that's not in the world. Amen? Amen. All right? So, it's not that you're judgmental. It's not that you're judgmental, but it's that you love. That you love. And that your life is a veritable poster board. A poster board for Jesus Christ. And so here I want you to see how even though God has indicated what his judgment is for those who are lost, that God still will extend his mercy to those who reach out from this lost state. That's God. That's the love of God. As holy and sovereign and righteous as God is, there is still this part of God that is so overwhelmingly loving that he will reach out. He will reach out to someone who is lost, someone who is under judgment, to save them, as he did that to Rahab, as he did this. Um, and, and, and now God makes that pledge. He makes that pledge to us today uh, to save the Gentiles, to save those who were not part of the original pro- promise. Uh, and, and you see this so much. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And this really speaks to us because, let's face it, we're not Jews. We don't have a Jewish background. God has saved us. And so we were effectively Gentiles without promise. And look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that means Jews, all right? Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, And without God in the world. There it is. You were all in that position. You were all born in that position. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. There it is. There it is. Through the blood of Christ, you who were outside the covenant are now inside. Because Jesus came. And died on the cross because God, in his grace, gave you that. Uh, And what a powerful message it is. And so Rahab provides us uh, a lesson by noting the contrast 
with the other inhabitants of Jericho. You understand that? The other inhabitants of Jericho still lived their pagan life, still lived outside the will of God. But this woman, knowing what God had done for the Jewish people, knowing that God, 40 years earlier, had opened the Red Sea, knowing that the, they were serving the powerful one, God of the universe, she knew that she had to be part of that. She knew that that was the God that she wants to serve. Uh, and so what you see now is what happens when you accept God and you reach out and confirm it by an act of faith. It's not mere mouth confession. It's mouth confession coupled with heart. Coupled with heart and, and reaching out. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we have believed, enter that rest just as God had said. Now who's he talking about? Well, here's who he's talking about. Look at, look at verse 16 of the prior chapter. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Meaning, they heard God. They heard the message of God. They heard the problem. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Meaning God. Who was God angry with? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Do you see how God works? He puts the word out there. He gives the opportunity. That's what he did here to the Jewish people. Forty years they're in the wilderness. And God is bringing his word on a regular basis. And Moses is delivering the word. And yet still you're going to see that the obstinacy and the refusal to, to submit to God stays on until every single person over the age of 21 that left Egypt would die in the desert. Not one, not one person would enter the promised land who was over the age of 21. And that included Moses and Aaron. They would not. And so you understand it. You see what happens. And yet you see this woman responding. Not only did she say, I believe. How did she believe? She helped them. She assisted them. She put her own safety at risk. And then she obeyed by putting the scarlet cord in the window. And so you understand it. And, and, and her, her, her admission of faith, her confession of faith is so powerful. And you see this uh, in... Uh, Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. For we have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Can you imagine? A pagan woman delivering that message. In a pagan land. Under judgment. You see the power of the Holy Spirit. Reaching out and touching her. You see what happens. 
when God touches us. And so you understand, that's what salvation is, folks. The heart is touched. The senses are touched. We confess with our lips, but we believe and confirm with our heart. And in faith, we reach out and step out and demonstrate that we have given God, that we have given God our hearts and will follow him the rest of our days. That's what it's about. All right. So this demonstrates, the principle here is this demonstrates God's concern and work to deliver one person or one family who will trust him. Turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Isn't it amazing that we can start out often like the sixth book of the Old Testament and wind ourselves pretty much to the back end of the Bible? Isn't it amazing? You, want, you, you see the, the plan that God has, how everything is tied together? You look at this. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Let me tell you, folks, that day's coming. By the way, have you ever had a day in which you're so downcast that you say, Lord, I'm ready. Bring it now. <laughs> Bring it now. Have you ever said that? Just, you know, somebody said every day. Literally. Living in the world we live in where bad news comes around every, you can't even turn on television. You turn on some political show, you feel better, your spirits are raised. Please. I was trying to watch a golf tournament, and they interrupted it by saying Scalia had died. That was great. You know, you understand. We live in a fallen world. There's no good news coming around the pike. And so here's the thing. God has patience. He's got patience with you. Think about how long it took you to come to faith and how still you stumble and fall every day. And yet he loves you and has patience. Now, to those who have not accepted him, there will be a day of reckoning. There will be, even as God is slow, slow to move. And will give time and opportunity because God loves them. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to destroy without giving an opportunity. He wants to see it. And you see it here with Rahab. Uh, and, and so the other thing that this points out to me in this lesson, it demonstrates God's protection and provision of his servants to enable them to carry out their calling and purpose regardless of the circumstances. Let me tell you this. How do you think it was for those two spies that went out? They go out to a land in which they're reviled, in which people want to kill them. And what does God do? God finds the one woman in that foreign country who would extend them protection. That's how God is with you. You don't even know the doors that God has opened for you. You have no idea how God has protected you and opened things for you and led you to places that God wants you to be. It's all these things he's done for you that you don't have any idea. That's why when you come to face him in that day, he's going to say to you, what did you do with what I gave you? Well, I don't know, God. Uh, what did you give me? What did I give you? What did I give you? What about this? Well, I didn't know that was you. <laughs> I thought that was me. By the way, don't say that. Okay? Let me give you a clue. Don't say that. Everything you have in your life has been given to you by God. Amen. Everything. Amen. Everything. He's given it to you. 
And the day that you don't recognize it is the day that you're falling short of the mark. And so here he is, these two spies go out, and they're under God's protection. They're under God's protection. And he opens the door, and you see that's what God does. When you're serving God, when you're walking the way God wants you to walk, God is going to protect your steps. Um, And also what this lesson shows, it demonstrates to me how our faith should lead to action and ministry to others. You got that? Our faith should lead to action and to ministry in others. So what do I mean by that? I mean, first of all, that Rahab preached to her family. Rahab preached to her brothers and sisters. Rahab said to these people, I can imagine, oh, I met the people of God. They were here and they're going to protect me. They're going to, as long as you're in my house, if you accept what they've done, you become part of the umbrella of this God, they will protect you. And they became effectively part of the family of God because God anointed her and allowed her to use what God had given her. And so there's, there's an example. There's an example. Uh, and, and the same example is with the Samaritan woman. When Jesus met her at the well and told her he would give her everlasting water for life and told her who he, who he was and she recognized he was the Messiah, she goes back into the town and preaches the message of salvation to the town. Hey, where did you go to seminary? I don't see a license. You don't have the authority to preach. Oh, really? I don't have the authority to preach. I have the authority of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the authority I have to preach. And there she did. She preached to that town. That woman, who I'm sure was reviled, disrespected, and an entire town. The entire town comes back out to see Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, and so you, you, see, you see this aspect of what happens when we do not harden our hearts. What happens when we accept what God has done? When, when he reaches out to us in love and opens the door to salvation. And when we come face to face with that and we reach out. When we reach out just like Rahab from the muck and mire of our life. And when we do that, how God responds. What a lesson. What a powerful lesson this is in so many ways. And so I want to I move on uh, to Joshua chapter 3. And I want to speak now about how Joshua was preparing himself for this great assault. Now he's got a cross. He's got 3 million plus people. He's now going to cross the Jordan River. And let me tell you something about the time of year that he picked to cross it. And I shouldn't say he picked, that God picked, all right? Because at this time of year, the Jordan River would be about one mile wide. You got it? One mile wide. It was at the point of year that it would be the widest. And so God was demonstrating to Joshua that within the power of God, nothing is impossible. God can deliver you across a mile wide body of water. And I'm going to demonstrate my power. So follow along with me as as I read Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, by the way, underline that, three days, not by accident. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. 
but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gigashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. How about that? You want to cross the river? You want to cross this mile-long body of water? There's only one way you're going to do it. The ark goes first. God goes first. God is going to go first. And so here it is. You see Joshua, a man of faith, believing that God would, would stop the water. And in fact, what happened here is that the, the water was, was effectively stopped about 20 miles upstream uh, at a town in which the water just built up enough time so that three and a half million people could cross over uh, the river. And what went first? The Ark of the Covenant went first. The pillar of cloud was no longer there. The pillar of cloud that had brought them to the Jordan River was no longer there. Now it would be the Ark of the Covenant, the very representation of God himself, the very element of God himself, the Spirit of God being carried in the Ark across before them. Uh, and, it's, and it's so amazing as you see this, uh, as God moving, moving them and teaching them. This is a teaching moment. You have to understand what I'm telling you. You have to sanctify yourself. You have to wash yourself. You have to be prepared for this moment where God is going to act. You want God to act on your behalf? Well, then you can't wear the same soiled art, uh, garments. There's a lesson here. You want God to touch you, to bless you? Get on your knees and ask God to forgive you. Wash me, Lord. Help me, Father. Help me to be, be more respectful of you, Lord, to appreciate what you're doing in my life. And you understand that, and you see it here. You see it alive in this story. And so look at this, even, even with the point uh, that they were told to stay back 3,000 feet. Why do you think they were told to stand back 3,000 feet? Because theologians say that in order for 3 million-plus people to see what was going on, they needed a perspective and the perspective was 3,000 feet. Only by standing back 3,000 feet from this activity, as they see the priests carry effectively God forward into the Jordan River, could they understand what was taking place. And they understood the holiness of God. God is separate from us. We ask him to be part of what we're doing, but we recognize that God is separate from us. You know, we, we don't, we don't ever really, truly respect the holiness of God. That's why I spent so much time going through uh, Leviticus chapter 16. 
you understand that God, that God drilled that home to the Jewish people. Uh, and, and so you see the power of God demonstrating his holiness. And his holiness here being staying back 3,000 feet from the ark. Uh, they were not to have a casual intimacy. How do you like that? I, I like that phrase. Not to be casually intimate with God. That speaks to a lot of us. We've got a casual intimacy with God. You know what I mean. You know, sometime I'll, I'll ask God for something. You know, God, I need something. And then I'll go months. Three months I don't speak to the Lord. I don't thank him for what he's doing in my life. I'd rather treat him like a hotel concierge. Right? Oh, God, I need this. I need this. I need that. And yet, the question is, have you been speaking to me on a regular basis? Are you my friend? Have you demonstrated your love for me on a regular basis when, when you didn't have a specific need? Or am I just here to be your concierge? I mean, that's between you and God. But I would tell you right now, think about that. Just think about that. Instead, you need to have a, a, a heart for God that a hundred times a day, wherever you are, whether you're walking uh, or driving your car, where you're constantly thanking him. Lord, thank you, Father, for what you've done for me. Thank you for being a part of my life. Thank you for giving me the family that you've done. Thanking you, Father, for bringing me to a Bible study where I can be with other people who love you, who affirm me, who can pray for me. Thank you, Jesus, for every day of my life that you've given that I can, that I can uh, affirm your work. Think about it. Uh, and do you do that? Or do you just wait until you really need something big? Oh, God. And so that's what, that's what casual intimacy is. That's what casual intimacy. And that's what God was trying to teach them. God doesn't want casual intimacy. He wants real, true intimacy on the most profound level. Uh, and that's what he's trying to teach them. And so you see here, I love that, that, that all of this moved forward on the third day. Boy, isn't that an accident, huh? The third day. God, almost in every book of the Bible, will reiterate the idea that on the third day, something important takes place. And that's what they were being told. They were All of this, you understand how God is laying out this story and painting this picture? Here it is. This is going to be now about 1,400, 1,300 years before Jesus Christ would be born. And so people, the Jewish people, are going to study this. The rabbis are going to teach this in the synagogue. All right? And a good rabbi is going to be teaching them about the third day. And yet Jesus is going to come. And on the third day, he's going to resurrect from the dead. He's going to defeat death. And yet so many of them were blind. Even though God painted the picture. Ch chapter after chapter, verse after verse, they did not see it. You understand how God is patient. But there comes a time when the story's over. There comes a time when the story's over. And so you see this here. Come on the third day, expect a miracle. There it is. That's what Joshua said. On the third day, expect a miracle. And that's right. God did the greatest miracle of all. On the third day, he raised Jesus. And on that day, he defeated death. Uh, and so you see this. And, and so as, as Joshua speaks to the people, uh, as Joshua's credentials are being burnished, and that's what God is doing also. 
he's demonstrating that Joshua is his man. Joshua is going to be the person who, who he now uses to lead these people. Um, and so uh, God, God is demonstrating his awesome power. And so they bring, they bring the ark into the river. And as they step into the river, the water stops flowing. Can you imagine? The mile-long Jordan River dries up. And the people were able to cross this, cross this mighty river. Uh, and, and you see it. And what happens here is until the three million people cross over, they then take the ark and they walk back. And the river stayed bone dry until they got to the other side. And when they got to the other side, the water kept flowing. And you understand that the Canaanites are watching this. And they are in terror. They see the living God working for his people. And they know it. And they, they are in terror. You understand how God wants us to act in faith, knowing that God will be with us. And so the lesson for believers today is that crossing the Jordan re represents passing from one level of Christian life to another. It is a picture of entering into spiritual warfare to claim what God has promised. Uh, and this is important. It means the end of a life lived by human effort and the beginning of a life of faith and obedience. God, I don't know where you're sending me. God, I don't know what you want me to do. God, I don't know what's coming around the bend. God, I don't know where I'm going to go next. God, I don't understand this diagnosis from the physician. God, I don't understand what's happening to my portfolio. God, I don't understand all these things in my life, but the one thing I understand is that you're with me, that you will not abandon me. You will never leave me. You will hold me in the palm of your hand. And that is why, that is why I can look at this wristband that we have for you today, where Joshua says to the people of God, as for me and my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's the lesson for you today, that as things become difficult and harder to understand, as you don't know where you're going, as you don't know what's coming around the bend, as you don't know what constraint is coming into your life, God is promising you, just like he promised the Jewish people as they stood at the Jordan River and were about to cross a one-mile body of water into a land of people that hated them. And God said, I will be with you. And that's the lesson for you today to understand this. We will continue this next week. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the words that you've given us, Lord. Let us hope that these words resonate in our hot life as we see the power of Rahab and what a testament of faith is. How, how someone who can be lost can give their heart to you and you will save them forever. And how we see Joshua stepping out in faith at the same time, knowing that you will be with him. Lord, bless our people and bring them back safely next week to consider, continue the, the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life, the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.